Let's climb in and start with prayer tonight. <coughs> right on time. Yeah, I know. Front row, man. A-plus students. Uh, somebody shut those back, that other back door for me. Thank you, Rhonda. <coughs> Let's start with prayer tonight. Lord, we are excited about the chance to climb into your word. I just pray that we will be nourished, well-fed, um, uh, that we will be captivated and amazed at your design and your plan. Um, Lord, I'm thankful that just ordinary old babble is not ordinary and that you have a design and a plan that is being and has been and is being worked out over the ages that we're embedded within. I just pray that we can see the big picture tonight. Uh, we love you, Lord. We turn this time over to you, to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Tonight, we're actually going to go through chapter 10 and chapter 11 up to verse 9. I want to look at these together because they go together. Uh, chapter 10 of Genesis, you know, if some of you guys have read through Genesis, some of these Old Testament books... You know, you'll see 8,000 names, all of which are hard to pronounce, and so-and-so was so-and-so's daddy, and, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and, and these lists that you're really trying to figure out, what does this really have to do with anything? Those things, when you really spend time on them, you can walk away with some nourishment and some understanding. Uh, I'm, I was reading something just, just today that was talking about what happens when we read these stories, these narratives in the Old Testament, when we climb into these tables and these these so-and-so with so-and-so's daddy and when you really try and get to know these people you become part of the story uh, there's the temptation to just kind of wait to go to old testament books and things like that to when you got some sort of problem and you, you there's a solution there in some book and well there's the answer but instead the people of god should climb into the people of god's story and what happens when you climb into the story is he shapes you from the inside out so that you make decisions that reconcile with the sort of decisions that the people of God would make. Um, I'm sure this will come up in the next few weeks in a sermon. I'm still kind of processing some of this, but there was an Old Testament writer uh, or Old Testament theologian, a guy named N.T. Wright, that um, basically he described the whole story as a play and that there's four there's five acts. The first act is creation. The second act is the fall. The third act is Israel. The fourth act is Jesus. And the fifth act is the church. But the fifth act hasn't been acted out yet completely. It's been partially acted out. If you read the New Testament stories and the epistles, the letters, you see New Testament believers in motion. But we're in that story too, and our, our portion of the play hadn't been written. So the only way, basically, it would be like some actors being given a responsibility of acting out the rest of part five of a play when they don't have the script. All they've got is the first four acts, or four and a half acts, to go back and to immerse themselves in, to learn how, for example, Shakespeare wrote, to learn how Shakespeare thought, so that they can then improvise the rest of act five. And do it in keeping with the character of the first four and a half acts. So that's what happens is we're climbing into the story through these, in some ways, obscure 
tables of names and accounts and things that if they're left by themselves, you're not figuring out how they fit into the big play and you're not seeing yourself in it either. But when you see yourself in it, then things change dramatically. Everything changes. So that's kind of what we're doing tonight. Chapter 10, let me kind of give you a little coaching. Chapter 10, it's not complicated, it's just a little bit tedious. If you hang in there with chapter 10, and then you walk away with a bird's eye view of what we're going to see in chapter 10, and then you climb into chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, which is familiar to many of us, you'll walk away with this big aha moment that will be worth your trip tonight. I've been just so excited about it all day long, so climb in. First of all, let me give you a, little, a couple of introductory notes before we start with uh, the uh, chapter 10. This chapter 10 is what's called the Table of Nations. Okay, in this chapter, there are 70 nations presented, and these 70 nations are the offspring of Noah through his sons. Remember his sons' names? Anybody remember? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Good. Now, here's kind of how it breaks down. There's 14 nations that come from Japheth. There's 30 that come from Ham, and there's 26 that come from Shem, which makes up 70. Has anybody done a study in Revelation or in other places where you have a picture of 7 or 70? What does that number symbolize? Com- fullness, completion. So this is, a repre- this is all of humanity in chapter 10. This is our origin right here. This is our story. That's why you can look at it and go, it'd be like a genealogy class. And here's here's where you began. One of these guys is your great, great, great to the exponential, I don't know, greatest granddaddy. And that's kind of cool when you climb into that way. And you realize that this one chapter captures all that. It's the fullness of humanity. And what you're going to see, too, is that God is sovereign over the whole thing. It didn't just happen. But God was the designer, and he was the planner, and he was the distributor distributor of the inheritance of all these people okay a couple things i want to call your attention to there's two guys names specifically one guy's named nimrod ever heard that name before when you're really mad at somebody you nimrod nimrod was actually a pretty imposing character you're going to hear cretin in here too now that's not one of the names but cretin is what we used to call each other you cretin you know it's like you're just a knucklehead big sloping forehead sort of cretin you know, anybody that has a sloping forehead, I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you. Two names I want you to pay attention to as I read this chapter. One is Nimrod and the other is Peleg. Not Pegleg, Peleg. Okay, P-E-L-E-G. Okay, let me read the whole account. Actually, I'm going to read it in chunks. So the first chunk is verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> These are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, that's the first guy we're going to look at. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshish, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togomar. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. <clears throat> okay, this Japheth line, unless you are, have kind of an, uh, an Indian background or a Jewish background, this is our background. This is where we came from, the line of Japheth. That's where the Gentiles came from. Okay, so this ultimately would be our 
beyond, or this side of Noah, this is our great, great, whatever, granddaddy. There's some names that you may recognize in here if you're paying attention. One is Tarshish. Anybody know where Tarshish comes up in the Bible? Paul, yeah, Saul. Then Saul came from Tarshish. Okay, that's, that's a um, Roman Empire sort of community. Okay, um, and then the other one is Magog. If you've read your Bible, you know about Gog and Magog. Okay, this is just the picture of the Gentiles here. And it's the coastland peoples. These guys are spread along the, the, the Mediterranean Sea. Each has its own language, it says right here. Now, if, you, if you're attentive to chapter 11, you know what happens in chapter 11. It starts out by saying everybody had one language. So what you need to realize before we even look at chapter 11 is that what the events of Babel happen embedded within the table of nations. So this table of nations is the big picture, and somewhere in there, really, at Peleg's time frame, is when the Babel event happens. Before that, they all had one language. After that, it's like it says here, each had his own language by their clans in their nations. Okay? Let's start with verse, continue with verse 6. The sons of Ham, they were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Now, if you're reading these and you're hearing these and you think, man, there's a country named after that, or there's a city named after that, well, that's how that happened. People were named after who they were. You know, kind of the patriarch of the family or that portion of the family. If they went off to settle, if I went to settle somewhere, it would be Benland <laughs> or Beniopia or something like that, you know. I don't like the sound of Benny. I never have liked that. Don't call me that. I'll get mad. Okay, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabteca. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. You know why? Let me, let me tell you something. I, I decided when reading with my family that I wasn't going to skip these hard names. Now, I don't know that I'm pronouncing them all right. That's not, that's not the point. You just say them with confidence. That's what counts. <laughs> but I decided that I wasn't going to skip these long names, which some of the books, they get pretty tedious. But I reckon that if it took, God took the time to put it in there, then we should at least take the time to say it. I don't know if there's anything spiritual or powerful that happens just saying their name. But if my name was in here, which it is, but it's not referring to me, but if my name was in here, I would, I don't know that, maybe that's pride thinking that, don't skip over my name just because it's hard to say. That's just, that's just uncool. Cush fathered, now here's the guy, first guy I want you to pay attention to, Nimrod. He was first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, that's like an idiom, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Okay, Egypt fathered Ludum, Anamim, Lahabim. Actually, I'm going to stop at the end of verse 12. I don't want to talk about Egypt and Canaan yet. Just the first part, let's talk about Cush. Okay, the sons of Ham are Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Cush actually settled in northern Sudan. Now, the way they figure out where these guys settle is based on language studies, where they can, like the root names of places that are named someplace now, they look at maybe the derivative of that name and where it came from, and that's how they look back. So it's not just somebody cooking it up, saying, hey, yeah, it's a, let's just say he lived there. 
But Cush actually settled, and his family, his people, settled in northern Sudan. Egypt settled where? Just making sure everybody's paying attention. China? No, Egypt. Okay. Put settled in Libya. Okay, that's where Libya came from. And then Canaan settled in Canaan. Okay, the promised land. The place that, if you were with us on Sunday, on the conquest generation, the place that we had to clear out. We had to run off all the ites, Amalekites, Perizzites, Jebusites, all those uh, ites. That's Canaan, okay? Now, the sons and grandsons of Cush, they were Seba. Seba became Ethiopia. Havilah became Southwest Arabia. Sabta became South Arabia. Sheba, as in the queen of, I don't know where that became. Dedan became North Arabia. Now, let's talk about Nimrod. This, it's interesting, there's so, many, so much detail here about Nimrod, okay? What do y'all know about him just from this passage? Let's look back at it. Just throw out some facts about Nimrod. He's the first to be called a mighty man, first on the earth. He's Cush's son, one of Cush's sons, okay? What else? A builder, yeah, really more warrior than he probably... Building definitely seems to be one of his priorities, and starting cities and being involved in these new works. Uh, mighty hunter before the Lord. Okay, and there was also, like I said, a little idiom. You know what an idiom is? It's kind of a, a saying. And I don't imagine at this time, you know, at the age of the earth, there were a whole lot of idioms. So this was maybe one of the first official. Not, not the first, surely, by this time. But kind of a saying. And the saying was, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So Nimrod was not a goober back in that day. It would be like to talk about something that was really powerful and mighty. Uh, he started a kingdom, and that kingdom involved Babel, Eric, Akkad, and that also is often referred to as Akkadia, usually spelt with K's, two K's, with the famous king Sargon. That's likely who this is talking about, Sargon, the king of Akkadia. And I think his date, time frame was twenty. 300 B.C. to 2100 B.C. range, somewhere in there. Okay, so that's likely who this is about. He went into Assyria, and he built what important city? Nineveh. Okay, we'll talk about Nineveh in a minute. Um, now, a few things about him. His name means we shall rebel. Okay? Don't name your kid Nimrod. You're in for a, in for a great parenthood. Nimrod's empire is built by force. Okay, now, something I want you to remember. Back in chapter 1 of Genesis, God made man and woman, and he told them to do what? What was the cultural mandate? Be fruitful, multiply, multiply and do what? Fill, and fill the earth. Okay, and it's the same thing that he reinstated when Noah and his sons got off the ark in chapter 9. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In other words, scatter. Don't gather up. Scatter, multiply, fill, sub subdue, cover the earth. That was the charge. That's the cultural mandate. Now, Nimrod's empire was not built by scattering. It was built by force. This guy was a tyrant. This, the Hebrew for mighty man isn't like a term of endearment. The Hebrew is actually a tyrant, that he was a tyrant. Okay, so it's not like this guy's a stud in the eyes of the Lord. Lord saying, man, what a hero, man. He's my man, Nimrod. 
this guy's bad news. Um, he's a mighty hunter. The ancient Near East kings prided themselves in their hunting prowess. And where it says before the Lord even means that in the Lord's eyes, he was a mighty hunter. He didn't just tell the fish stories. You know, my fish was this big when it was really this big. It really was this big. And God reckoned, and God noticed it. I mean, this guy was a serious hunter. I don't know if he was a fisher or not, but in the Lord's estimation, he was pretty impressive. Now, Babel, this place where he founded, the, the, I think the reason this is amplified so much about Nimrod and about him founding Babel is because this is foreshadowing for chapter 11. In order to really understand the context of chapter 11, you've got to get to know Nimrod a little bit. You've got to get to know what he's about, um, what he did against God's design, and understand why Babel went the direction that they went. Um, Babylon, just a few little tips about a few things to know about Babel and Babylon. It's the anti-Jerusalem. Take everything that Jerusalem is supposed to be about, Babel is, and Babylon is about the opposite. It's the anti. Jerusalem will have to wait for Christ's return for Babylon to get their due. Revelation chapter 18, if you want to read about what's going to happen to Babylon, if you studied Revelation with us, you know that we kind of called it Romalon because Rome, Babylon, they're kind of in the same lot. It's going to be ugly for them. Okay. Nineveh is one of the cities that he found. And I want to, I, what's unique about Nineveh? What's special about Nineveh? Just doing a little Old Testament. Okay, it's where Jonah reluctantly went to preach. Okay. Do you know why he was reluctant to go? Anybody study Jonah? Huh? Well, it, yeah, he knew they were going to repent, Steve said, and he didn't want them to. Why didn't he want them to repent? Okay, what else about them made him not want to go? What else do you know about the Ninevites? That's a wicked bunch. You want to take wickedness. In fact, when they took a new land, they made it a point to find all the pregnant women, and they disemboweled pregnant women, baby and all. I mean, I think that's inclusive, but making the point, they were a gruesome bunch. I mean, he, Jonah didn't want them to repent. He wasn't running because he was scared. He was scared they were going to repent, just like Steve said. And this is a, one of the places that this guy Nimrod found. Now, <clears throat> just want to call out again, remember the cultural mandate. Be fruitful and multiply and scatter and subdue. Now, Nimrod did not scatter. In fact, what he's doing is he's doing the opposite. He's collecting. He's building cities. Let's bring people together. Let's not scatter. Let's capture and bring them in. Okay? That's going to be important. You'll see that come around later. Okay, now the sons of Egypt. I didn't read this section of Scripture, so let's look at that. Verse 13. Egypt fathered Ludum, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kaslahim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Now from this line, just like it says, the Philistines came, and also the Kaphtarites became the Cretans. I just a really nice thing special to know there, but the Cretans were for real Cretans, and that's where they came from. Okay, the sons of Canaan, these are all the ites of the promised land. In verse 15, Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn in Heth and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Ar excuse me, Arvidites, 
the Zim, this is really reading um, challenge right here. Zimmerites, the Hamathites, and afterward the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Okay, just the main thing to get from that section is that all the ites of the promised land that the conquest generation was to eradicate, that's all these people. They settled that, that area of the world. And notice among the names are Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, that's part of, that's where Lot went off. When Abraham went to his area, Lot went to his area, Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah to live. Okay, now verse 21. <clears throat> to Shem... Also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, the children were, or children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpashad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. <clears throat> Joktan fathered Almadad, Sheleph, Hazarmaveth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abamal, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country in the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Okay, some interesting things about Shem. Shem, if, if you ever heard the term Semitic, that's, that came from Shem's name. It would be Shemitic, but they shortened it and made it Semitic. You've heard of people being anti-Semitic? Mel Gibson, or you know, the whole thing with Mel Gibson, they claimed, you know, accusing him of being anti, anti-Jewish. This is where the Jews come from, is Shem's line. And Semitic is where that came from. Um, something that's interesting about Shem, his name means name. Which is interesting, that from this line, the Jews will come. Does anybody know what the Jews called Yahweh? How they referred to Yahweh? The name so the Shemites would be the people of the name. And it's appropriate that they're going to be the people of the name. The name Yahweh. It's also interesting that if you were paying attention Sunday, we read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, a special verse there that's called the Shema. And I don't know if it's related to Shem or not, but it sure is unusual that they're both so close. It wouldn't surprise me with God's design and his sovereignty if there weren't, wasn't a connection there. Now, one of the names that hopefully you recognize in this list, I know there's some weird names in there, but there's the uh, son of, one of the sons of Aram was Uz. Who was from Uz? Turn me back a little bit. Who? No? No? Good shot. I heard somebody say it would let her start with a name start with a Joe or a J. I just gave it away. <laughs> Joe. Yeah, there's no Joe in the Bible. Maybe it's Job. Okay. Job lived there. Eber mentioned here early in this whole line of things because his two sons, Peleg and Joktan, were going to be important. Peleg, I told you to pay attention to Peleg. His name means division. 
and the earth was divided during his time period. So Babel happened likely during his lifetime. Okay. Um, let's see. This guy Peleg is also important because the line of Shem was divided at this time between Peleg and Joktan. And it's Peleg's line that will father the hope of the nations and eventually Abraham's seed. Okay. Verse 32 says that these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now what I want you to pay attention to as we close out chapter 10 because remember they're connected to chapter 11. This whole story. Chapter 10, this table of nations from one blood. This is going to be so important. This is going to be the treasure that you're going to get at the end of this little first nine verses in chapter 11. From one blood, the nations were born. From one blood, the nations were born. Okay, also notice that if you're paying attention to this, there's no real clue of where Israel comes from. You wouldn't have known, just from the table of nations, that Israel came from this. Except that I told you that Israel actually unfolds, Abraham and all these guys unfold from Shem's line. You wouldn't have known that just from the table of nations alone. And that's going to be important later too. And lastly, just see God is sovereign over this 70 nations. You need to see God's hand, hands all over these 70 nations. I'll read a passage to you you can jot down. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. This was God's design of these 70 nations of where they would go. It didn't just happen by coincidence and circumstance god had his hands all over it okay again that will be important too now let's climb into a more familiar story if you were able to brave chapter 10 there's treasure so hang in there chapter 11 of genesis the first nine verses is where we're going to go now this story again is embedded within the table likely during whose lifetime I want to make sure y'all are with me. I know that I got to bring you back into this. I know this is a difficult chapter, but this is more familiar. During whose lifetime? Peleg. Okay, it means division. Okay, and likely Nimrod's lifetime. Remember where what Nimrod built? Babel. Okay, remember what Nimrod is about? Collecting and gathering people, building things. Okay, now let's listen to the story. Well, I'm gonna read it all together. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks. Let me, let me just give you a little side note. Shinar is the land of Mesopotamia, which again is going to be a treasure here in a minute. Just make a little mental note. Shinar, Mesopotamia. And they said to one another, huh. Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. I don't know if they made that noise I just made, but just kind of that, it's just what it sounds like. Huh, let's make some bricks. Man, let's get some mortar and make some bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, huh, come, let us build ourselves. Pay attention who's on the receiving end of this building. Let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for who? For ourselves. Lest we be dispersed. Huh. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
And this is the key of the whole story right here, this next phrase. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now... A few weeks ago, you might remember that I introduced you to this picture of a chiasm. You know, a chiasm is kind of like a, a, a literary tool. If you don't know what it is, hang in there. I'll tell you what it is because it's really cool. It's going to amaze you what you're about to see. Just take a picture like a, a pyramid laying on its side. It's a literary instrument that calls attention to the top of the pyramid. I'm going to flip the pyramid on its back, on its side, to where it's sitting up like a pyramid that you would actually envision. And now I'm going to show you grammatically, not grammatically, just verse-wise, what the pieces of the pyramid are. Okay, pay attention to this. Here's the chiasm. In the beginning of the story here, it says all the earth had one language. Okay? And then on the, at the end of the story, it says the language of the whole earth was confused. Okay, it's language and language. Those are on the bottom pieces of the pyramid. The next part is the people settle there in Shinar, in Babylon, to be specific. The next piece on the other side is the people are dispersed from there. I mean, the words are, it's amazing when you see the parallel. Next is, they said, huh, come let us. They said to each other something. And then on the other side, they're trying to say something to the other, but they can't because they're confused. They're not saying anything to each other that's intelligible anymore. Okay, then next up on the pyramid is come now let us make bricks. On the other side of the pyramid is God in the heavenly court saying come now let us confuse. Okay, you see the, the parallels there that this pyramid is building. And then next up here is there's a city and a tower. And then over here there's a city and the tower mentioned both times on the alternate side of the most important thing of this whole story. I called your attention to it when I read it for the first time. And the Lord came down. The reason these little things are important, these chiasms, it wasn't just somebody just trying to kind of get creative. They're setting something off as important. That the Lord came down. I'm going to call your attention to a few things why that's important in a moment. But this structure focuses on that phrase. All throughout our Bible, the picture of God coming down is the picture of what? What would you imagine? Just give it a stab. God coming down is a picture of what? If your parents come down on you, it's a picture of what? Yeah, that's, that's Greenville for what? Judgment. You messed up. <laughs> Eric said, you messed up. That's exactly right. This is a picture of judgment where God came down. There's a rebellion against God, tr people trying to make a name for themselves, and that will result in judgment, period. What we construct to glorify ourselves, God deconstructs. Because he's jealous for his own name. He's jealous for his own fame. And that's what this story is about. And the Lord coming down is right at the center of that. That's very, very important. There's also, I'll just give you a little side note about this. There's kind of an alternating design here too. 
where the first four verses are man speaking and the next four verses are God speaking. And if you look at it, it's, man, they just compete against each other. And what that's a picture of, literary, the literary picture is, that's a picture of tension, where God, man is at tension between God. And there's a struggle of man against God. If you read Romans 1, you can read all about that struggle because that's, that's what's um, uh, illustrated right here. Now, here's some notes about the story. First of all, the tower. The tower was likely a ziggurat. Anybody ever heard of a ziggurat? Anybody? Yeah, it's kind of like a little pyramid. It's kind of a, um, but it's got a real defined set of stairs, like a Mayan. It might have been down to um, Playa del Carmen or Cozumel. I don't know if Cozumel. Yeah, Cozumel. There's some, there's some Mayan ruins around there with these little temples that kind of look like little pyramids with stairs. That's what this likely was. And there were ziggurats in Babylon. And it's kind of like a little pyramid. And it's interesting that, that there's kind of a, uh, a theme for ancient pagan cultures where they want to build something up to the sky. What other things have you seen like uh, ziggurats and Mayan temples? That's a really obvious one. Pyramids, exactly. That's just another picture of what's going on right here. Trying to build something up to the sky. And the, actually, the word for ziggurat, Akkadian word, means to build high. And remember, this is Akkadia. Okay? Now, there's irony in this story. I love irony in the Bible. It just cracks me up. Here's, here's something, the first picture of irony. Babel to the founders. Okay, to the founders who started this city. Who was who? King who? Nimrod slash likely Sargon. Okay, likely. We don't know that for sure. But we know for sure it's Nimrod. Babel to the founders meant gate and residence to the gods. They would build these towers up, and actually at the top of them, they would paint them blue to where they look like the heavens, like they just kind of absorbed right into the sky, and they just kept on going, like a shiny blue, like an enamel they would put on the top of these things. And that's what the, their, the, this Babel meant, is gate, resonance of the God. But in Hebrew, it means confused. You guys think you're building something into the, into the sky? It's going to make a name for yourself, and in fact... What it means is confused. You've made a name for yourself, all right? It's just not, not the name you thought you were making for yourself. It's just the sweet picture of pride comes before fall. Your name is actually confused. The second picture of irony, while God is all-knowing and all-seeing, he sees all things. He doesn't need to go anywhere geographically to see anything. But in this story, where does he go? Remember, it's right at the top of the pyramid. He goes down. This structure that they're building to make a name for themselves is so insignificant that God's got to come down to look at it. It's so tiny, he's got to come down. Oh, let me go down and look at this little house of cards. I mean, isn't that funny? To me, that just cracks me up. They're building this thing, this impressive structure to make a name for themselves, and the heavenly court has to come down to see it (laughs) for an omnipotent, God, um, omniscient God, to make the point to say, I'm coming down to see it. That's pretty, pretty poor. Now, the few things that are going on with, pride, uh, with Babel, and the biggest one is pride. They disobeyed the cultural mandate to multiply and fill the earth. Their quote in here is, let's build this thing for what reason? To make a name for ourselves, and what else? 
so we won't, get, won't be scattered. So we won't do what God told us to do. We're going to build a big facade. I mean, think about how we do this. We can do this in churches. Let's build a big facade. Let's build a big name for ourselves. Let's build a big structure. Let's build something big, fine, and all congregate. We want to get everybody in here we can possibly get instead of multiplying and dispersing. Man, that's a great picture for church growth design right here. Multiply and, and scatter. Do, fulfill the cultural mandate. Their plans are, the picture, another picture of bride, their, uh, pride, their plans are to make a name for themselves. Whose name ought they be about? Yahweh. The Shemites are going to hopefully be the people of the name. And they're going to live by that name and live about that name. But these guys, are on a, they're about a different name. They transgress also the boundaries of heaven and earth and try to be like God by building up to God. Now, <clears throat> here are the theological implications of the table of nations in Babel. This is the treasure. If you hung in there, this is the treasure. Here's, there's three pieces to this treasure. The first piece, is you may not get, get this as really as treasure, but it's, I think it is. There's an absence of Israel in this story. Um, if you remember a couple months ago, we had a sermon that was, uh, it was the title of it was Drawn from Darkness. Where there's just, it's from John chapter 12, which is picture after picture where God allows and even in some cases ordains darkness so that he can show up as the light and draw out and draw his people out. What did he do in Egypt? Remember one of the plagues was what? A darkness that could be felt, and he draws his people out of that. All over the Bible, there's one picture after another where God's drawing his people out of darkness. And the darkness does either, either happens by his allowance or, or by his design. And this is what's happening here. Darkness is developing as the people are scattering and making names for themselves and building things for themselves, and it's not time to introduce Israel yet. It's not dark enough yet. When God introduces Abram, it's going to be as a hope for the nations. Things are going to be dark, and this is going to be a picture of light where God's light of covenant shines down on his creation where he begins to interact with an opportunity of hope through the work of Abram and through the covenant. So you've got to appreciate it's developing darkness, and that's why the table of nations is noticeably absent of any um, connection to Israel. He's just developing. Here's the situation. And then in conjunction with chapter 11, you're looking around going, man, the situation is a little bit dark. The situation is pretty bad where he's having to scatter all, all mankind. He's developing darkness before speaking light of covenant into it. Okay, Here's the second thing. This is my favorite thing. All these scattered and confused nations, I told you, came from one blood. Right? We walk away from chapter 10 get saying, this all came from one blood. Who? Noah, specifically. Okay, Noah and then Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But Noah, ultimately. And it will only be from one blood that they are gathered back rightly. It will only be by one blood that they are regathered that through the blood of Christ, the four winds gathering work of the cross will regather a people. Now, if you think that's a stretch... Turn to Acts chapter 2. I realize sometimes whenever you see something that, that connects, a, a dot that connects so far away, that there might be the potential of saying, man, you're just working hard to try and get this all, all this stuff pieced together. 
You don't have to work hard. You just have to be attentive and just realize that this Bible just fits together. It has such an incredible integrity. Listen to these words from Acts chapter 2 and listen to this story unfold and pay attention. One of the things I want to call your attention to, at least before I read it, is remember Shinar was what? Is what? The, the land of Shinar is Mesopotamia. Okay, now listen to this story. When the day of Pentecost arrived, how many weeks after Christ's crucifixion is this? Seven. Seven weeks later. In the same town where Christ is crucified, the chickens of the cross are now preaching Pentecost. Think about that. Something happened to Peter because he's the chicken. He's the chicken at the cross. Seven weeks later, in the same city where his Christ is crucified, now he's preaching Pentecost in front of thousands. What, what happened to Peter? That's just a side note that I just can't pass that. What happened to Peter? Huh? He saw the resurrected Lord. That would change things, won't it? Mm-hmm. We're on a different program now. <laughs> I'm not on the chicken program anymore. I saw the resurrected Lord. Things are going to be different. Okay? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this wasn't just babbling. Now that's an interesting word. This wasn't confusion, just utterance. Here's what this was. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, how do they know all these languages? These guys are just from Galilee. And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Listen to who's listed. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of where? Man, tell me that's just not beautiful. Isn't that where Babel was? We've got residents of Mesopotamia, Shinar, possibly even Babel itself, Babylon, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, <laughs> there they are. And Arabians, we hear them telling in our own languages or in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. That's a man, what an incredible event this must have been. But what I want you to appreciate is what happened seven weeks earlier is what created this event. This event would not have happened had it not been for that cross and then that vacant tomb and then Christ ascending to the right hand. It's through the blood of Christ the formerly scattered and confused nations are now gathering. Man, the four winds are represented right there in Jerusalem that day. And what was formerly confusing with all these different languages through the work of the cross, man, they're speaking the same language. It's not the same language, but they're understanding each other. There's understanding now. Even the confusion of mixed-up languages is, is gone. Where there was confusion before, now there's understanding. That's what blows me away. What I, all day today, I've been like, man, just regular old babble? Wait a second. I didn't know that dot was connected to the cross. 
I just thought it was just a little standalone story about explaining why everybody speaks different languages. It's all, it's all connected. God's been on his throne working out this story. I just don't think he's going to throw out this random story that has no connection to his son. It's all connected. And when you connect it, you go, golly, God, you are sovereign. You are wonderful. What an awesome gospel story. This is, man, this is something we can bathe in. Something we can enjoy. Enjoy something we can talk about at our dinner tables. That's why when I say theological implications of the table of nations in Babel, some people are going to go, oh, yawn, theological implications. And other people go, hit me with it, because that's going to invade my breakfast table. Hit me with it, that's going to invade my cubicle. That's going to invade my workspace. That's going to invade my shepherd time with my kids. That's personal. And that's what this is. It invades all of it. And here's one of the things that we get to experience. Here's a, a representation of this coming to pass. The church is a gathering of the nations. The church is the gathering of these languages. And now we're speaking a new language of the gospel. Man, it's the thing that binds us together. Just at Crosspoint, think about this. Not, all, all y'all don't know this. You may not know kind of what's, what we have represented here at Crosspoint. Crosspoint has people from all over the U.S., it's interesting. A lot of guys, folks, come in, work at L3 or places like that. They're imports. They're not regular Greenvilleites. And they're looking around going, where did I land? And they end up here. And it's funny, the amount of folks that we have from all over the country. It's also a gathering. We've got folks from Nigeria. We've got folks from Zimbabwe. We've got folks and have had folks from Venezuela, some of our church plant members that have gone to C3, from India, and even from Bayou Beth Swamp in Louisiana. It's crazy. The cross is that powerful. Think about that. That's the only thing that can gather people. Man, Coca-Cola, maybe for a commercial, can gather people from all the nations and all the colors, and we can all sing together at Christmas time. But that's not a true gathering. That's not a real gathering of community. It's only the cross that does that. And what happened through, the, through Babel, where the, the earth was scattered, is regathered through the cross. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's a treasure. Here's one more treasure for you. There's a picture of mountains. I was talking with Greg Fields last night, and uh, he just mentioned it. And the more and more, and, and I thought, huh, I'm going to look into that. So I started studying this, and um, I found a connection here on mountains. Um, there are two kinds of mountains. There's ordained mountains that are created mountains that God made, and then there's man-made mountains. Okay, let me kind of take you where I'm going. Eden was a God-made mountain. We, we believe that Eden was a mountain because all the rivers flowed out of it. it. You know, something would have to be high for that to happen, you know, for all of them to flow out in different directions. So we believe that Eden was a mountain that God made. God seems to really orient around communing with man on mountaintops. Um, there's Mount Moriah. What happened on Mount Moriah? Abraham and Isaac. What happened later on Mount Moriah? Golgotha. Did you realize that's where the temple is? Is on Mount Moriah? <laughs> Man, God, tell me God hadn't had this. I just found that out like a couple years ago, and it, just, it still blows me away to think about how he's designed all that. On mountaintops. There's Sinai, which in Deuteronomy is also called, it's a quiz from Sunday, Horeb. Yeah, good. Okay, it's the same thing, Sinai, Horeb. And that's where God came down and gave the law to man. There's Mount Nebo. What happened on Nebo? Also a quiz from Sunday. 
That's where Moses went up. And he, had, he looked back in the wilderness and he got to peek over the mountain and see the promised land. And that's where he died. There's also Mount Zion. Let me just read a passage to you. Revelation chapter 21, verse, verse 10. I'll look at starting verse 9. Then this is a passage that talks about the new heavens and the new Jerusalem that's going to come down and be that's prepared for us. Listen to this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. God has this thing for mountains, but they're mountains that he creates. And he visits with man by his design. And here's the picture. This is a little man-made mountain. This little ziggurat that they built. Let's make our own mountain. We'll go visit with God on our own terms. But God doesn't visit with man on man's terms. God visits with man on his term. He has to condescend to engage man. He has to come down to engage man. We can't come up to him. And that's, that's the picture here. This little man-made mountain shows how pitiful our attempts are to fellowship with God through our efforts. <laughs> we can't do it. It's pitiful. It's as pitiful as something that the whole heavenly court had to come down to see. Eee, let me take a look at that little bitty ziggurat. That's a joke. That's how pitiful our attempts are to fellowship with God. Thankfully, God has designed His way and His design for fellowship with Him, and that's through our cross, our, in our Christ. We can't get to Him on our own. We can build all the ziggurats we want. We can't get to Him on our own. He has to condescend. And how has He condescended? Two things I want you all to think of. What, 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 what's one of them? How has He condescended? Through his son, that's one of them. Through his son, obviously. His son took on flesh and came and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. Okay, what's the other one? That ought to be a hint. Huh? Hey, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I was thinking of another one, that he came and tabernacled among us, being a hint for another way that he has condescended. He tabernacled among us. Tabernacle. Tabernacle, tent. You know, where you have the Holy of Holies, where the high priest goes once a year, and, you know, that, man, but he's coming down to do that. It's not so we can build all the ziggurats we want. We can build them as high as we want, but they're pitiful. We've got a God that, thankfully, by grace and mercy, reaches down toward us. That's all I had for you tonight. We finished with two or three minutes to spare. Uh, does anybody have any questions? Any, any thoughts that hit them that they wanted to share or? Any, uh, everybody got all that processed? Megiddo, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, um, the passage that talks about him coming and defeating. All the nations will be gathered there. His people will be gathered. And he's going to be riding a white horse. And he will slay the nations that are are standing against him with what coming out of his mouth? Anybody know? Sword. And, you know, we're all, we'll show up. We got all our gear. We got our sword, you know. We got all our armor. And we're out there ready to do battle. And it's going to turn out we're just the, the pep squad. 
I mean, because he's going to do it all. We're going to be like, oh, man, I didn't even, I didn't even need this sword. Go Jesus, you know? That's, that's what it's going to be like. That's cool. Let me make a, just a quick announcement, and then we'll dismiss. Sunday, we're not going to be worshiping at this building because this building's not the church, <laughs> right? We are the church, and we are picking up and mobilizing to Greenville Christian School, okay? 10 o'clock, um, Sweeties, Donuts, and Starbucks Coffee. Okay, I'm putting those adjectives in there so you know we got some good stuff going on. 10 o'clock and fellowship. Man, if you don't know anybody, come at 10. Just get to know people. That's why we're doing that, so we can hang out and visit with each other. And, um, and then at 1045, this, these cards say 1030, but it's at 1045 that we'll actually have our worship time together. It's going to be in the gym at GCS. So we'll have some signs up, and you'll see people, and uh, you'll be able to figure out. If you don't know where GCS is, you can go to the website. And uh, there's a map there. Most probably know where it is. But if you don't, you can find that map online. And um, that is uh, Sunday. The day before, we're actually going to be passing little cards out in neighborhoods around GCS. We're going to meet at the GCS parking lot at 10 a.m. And come as families. I mean, this is, remember the Psalm 96 pictures of the families deploying? You know, the families telling, the families declaring. This is an opportunity for a family to go visit people in neighborhoods in our own community. And you knock on the door, it goes something like this. You knock on the door, and you're kind of standing there wondering, okay, what am I going to face? Kind of exciting, you know. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ben McGraw. We're from Cross Point Fellowship. Uh, we're actually going to be worshiping at Greenville Christian School on, on Sunday morning. And uh, if you're not in a church home, that's what I say every time. If you're not in a church home, we would love to have you. I want to qualify that. We're not trying to out-swoop people from other churches. I mean, that's not what we're about. Um, if somebody's not actively involved in a church home, man, I want them, we want them to know that we're going to be there. And uh, we want to be intentional about letting them know we're going to be there and in, be intentional about inviting them. So this, this little card is what we'll put in their hands. It's got our website on there and just a few of the details about it. And then, man, have a great day. Hope you have a great Saturday. Off to the next house. It's not scary. And you know what? People, you, you have this feeling that people are going to be upset because you've invaded their, their time off. And that's not true. It does a couple things. First of all, it may connect with someone that doesn't know the Lord or is not a part of a church. Secondly, it may connect with people that are part of a church. And then they go, oh, yeah, our Jesus is worth doing that. Think about it. They may be part of another church. This has the potential of really impacting things that we won't see till eternity. So it's not a scheme. <laughs> it's not a method. It's not a, a design to reach people. It's just us being out loud. That's all it is. It's just being out loud in our faith and out loud in our worship. So come at 10. If you haven't done that before, we'll be working in teams. You won't be by yourself. And it's cool to see families doing stuff like this. Man, little kids, it's awesome. Little kids knocking on the door. And you're standing right there and hearing kids say those things. It's something cool about it. Lastly, uh, Sunday night is our annual membership meeting. If you're a member of Crosspoint, we'll gather here Sunday night and we'll kind of have like a Mount Nebo time. We won't die, hopefully. <laughs> but it'll be now Mount Nebo in terms of us being able to go up to the hill and look back on where we've been. Not that last year's been a wilderness, not this Nebo illustration probably not working very well but 
we'll look back on where we've been last year and, and just kind of anticipate where we're going this next year. Dream together, pray together, and uh, just have a good time fellowship. And that's Sunday night, 6 p.m. in here. And that's for the membership. So if you're not a member, please know that it's not like this exclusive thing. It's not. But if, if you're not a member, that's, that's not for you. Okay, it's, there are times where family sits at the table and talks about family matters. And um, if you're considering membership and you become a member in the next few weeks or months or whatever, we'll make a CD of it and you can listen to it. Okay, so it's not like any super high-speed secret handshake sort of stuff going on, but it's just family time, so please don't take offense to that. Let me pray, and I'll dismiss us. Lord, thanks for our time together tonight. We are so thankful that um, Babel is not just a uh, story that stands alone and is interesting, but it's actually one that invades our lives and that we're part of, and um, we're thankful for... Uh, your word we're thankful for the holy spirit and his work in our lives and opening our eyes and um lord we just treasure you and your story and your throne and your design your sovereignty we stand amazed at these glimpses of glory that we have and we anticipate eternity what we'll spend with you worshiping Uh, we worship you now in christ's name we pray amen thanks y'all y'all have a great night